reading from Galatians chapter 6, the last eight verses, 11 through 18. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want to, you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Neither circumcision, circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all of you, follow this, to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your, your spirit, brothers. Amen. Oh, good morning. Several years ago, I, I broke my leg. Actually, it was broken for me. Guy tackled me and my leg got stuck in the mud and bent in a bunch of different ways it wasn't supposed to. But out of that experience, I ended up having to go to physical therapy. And many of you have probably gone through that process. It's quite a lengthy process. Actually, have to learn to walk again when you break your leg. I didn't think that would be true. Uh, but your leg doesn't know how to walk after it's been in a cast for over six weeks. And so I would meet uh, two, three times a week with my physical therapist, and she knew I was a pastor. And so every time I would show up, she would ask me biblical questions. She was being courted by the Jehovah Witness, and so things kept arising that she didn't understand. And so every time was questions about what that was all about and what I thought. And she had questions about the 144,000 and, and how does she fit in? Apparently she doesn't make it now. And so what realm of, of eternity is she involved with? She had questions even about the name Jehovah and how come in our Bible it doesn't really say Jehovah, but all over their scriptures it's the word Jehovah. And as she was asking me these questions, she's like, you know, that's a dumb question, isn't it? And I said, you know, it's not a dumb question. But it's not a question that will change your spiritual life. It's not a question that goes to the core of who you are spiritually. And I said, and I asked, I said, can I tell you what I think the main question is and what I think the good news of Jesus Christ is? And she said, sure, go ahead. And so our whole physical therapy session ended up in reminding her that the only thing that matters and the question that you should be asking is who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? What's he all about? Is he for real? Is he the Son of God? Who is Jesus Christ? And then I went and I proceeded to tell her about the gospel, that Jesus had died for her because he loved her so much, that he arose again, and that anyone who would receive him as Lord and Savior would be saved. That is the good news. 
of Jesus Christ. And I said, I want you to find out more about him. And so I gave her a Bible, brand new Bible. I said, I just want you to enjoy the Gospel of John. Just, just go there. And so she started reading, and our journey began down that path. And, and then you know what? God took her out of the state. And so I have no idea where she's at today, but I do know she knows the good news of Jesus Christ and that it's Jesus and Jesus alone who saves our lives, who sanctifies us, who redeems us. And that's what Paul is so passionate about. He's passionate about those who are in Christ, that they know that. He's passionate about those who are looking for Christ, that they would know that. And not be confused by all the lies that were being brought forth, that somehow there is more to your salvation. That somehow there is more to your being loved by God that you must do. And Paul is passionate to pass along the good news of Jesus Christ. That it is for freedom that Christ came. It is for freedom that we should live. And that's what we're going to wrap up with this morning. Paul's final word to the Galatians. Can you handle all this freedom is what he's getting at. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Father, we want to... We want you to fall in, uh, with your spirit into our lives with this incredible sense and this passion that Paul had of really knowing, just again, how much you love us, knowing how much, how much you want us to, to grasp your freedom that you gave us on that cross. Father, speak to our hearts this morning as we finish your word, your God-breathed word which is living and active, not just black and white on paper. Father, speak to our hearts this morning. May we know your truth. Use me, Father, to, to bring forth your desire for this body. We acknowledge you this morning as our Lord and our Savior. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Verse 11 See what large letters I use as I write to you in my own hand. It's, it's as though Paul had grabbed the pen out of the scribe's hand, the ones who would typically do the writing, and said, let me have that pen. I need to do this on my own. I want to be very clear that it is I, Paul, who am writing this letter. It is an idea that has emphasis. These final words that I give you, dear children of God in Galatia, these final words have emphasis. And I want you to know how I write. I want you to see how I press firmly with my pen upon the paper. You see... He had the same problems that we have with emails, right? Emails are frustrating, aren't they? We, we don't know the tone. We can't hear the voice. We can't see the, the facial expressions. 
And Paul somehow wanted to add the facial expressions and the tone and the passion as he pressed heavily with his pen upon that paper. A heart that couldn't say more about how important it was to know Jesus and Jesus alone. Have you ever had to write a letter with such passion? To really take time and thought? Something that weighed so heavy upon you? Maybe it took you months to even start to write it. I want you to understand that's the heart of Paul here. And so it is to us from God. I want you to see, I want you to know how much love I have for you and my desire for you to know the love of Jesus and that He is the one who is the Redeemer. He is the one who is the Savior. He is the one who gives freedom. Stop buying into the lies that the Judaizers are bringing to you, those who want you to look Christianly, those who want to add a lot more rules to your Christian life as though that is your salvation. And so like a loving father, he gives warning to the Galatian church. And what he's doing in the end of this book is he's clearly pointing out the difference between outward religion and inward transformation. And he wants to make that very clear for us. Very clear for the church in Galatia. And Paul wants to bring them to the only thing that matters. You see, for many people who practice religion, the only thing that matters is that they look good and that they feel good about their religion. That they are red carpet ready. They have all of the borrowed dresses and the borrowed jewelry and they're ready for the photographs as they walk down that red carpet of religion. There are those who want to make a good impression with their spiritual life. And not only do they they want to look good, but they want to compel you to look the same and to live religious life the, the same way they are. And see how they do it. It's the outward show and they tell us how things ought to be done. And this is what is most pleasing to God if you live in the same religion that we do. How you should act. You know what, I I ran into a good buddy of mine. He's He's a Christian guy. And he was excited because he, he, uh, someone handed him this book uh, by, by a Christian author, a counselor, and, and basically the title of the book was uh, Never Complain Again. And so it was this book to, to help you so that you will never complain again. And I know you're nudging your husband or wife right next to you, right? But here's how the book went, apparently. He was telling me this. He goes, yeah, it's kind of cool, and we've we got a group of guys who are going to do this together, but you wear this bracelet on your, on your left hand. And it's to remind you, you know, as you start to think about complaining, you look down there and you're like, oh, okay, I'm not, not going to complain. But then if you do complain, 
Then you switch the bracelet from the left hand to the right. And, and you walk around and you make sure that your buddies who are doing this with you know that you've complained. And, and again, it's trying to get you to not complain. Here's what you must do in order to stop complaining. And here's the technique to help you to stop complaining. I'm like, brother, let's get serious. Let's get some electrodes on there. Let's get the buzzer going. I mean, what is this? This does nothing. And you know what? This is what's being poured out there into the Christian circles. Let's do religion. You think by wearing a bracelet, that's going to change your life? It's Christ living in us and us tapping into the resource of Jesus Christ and his power that changed my heart from complaining into thankfulness. And it's on my knees going, God, help, because it's very easy in my flesh to complain. It's subtle, people, but it's out there, and it keeps coming out there. Everybody wants to put us into a place of how religion should look, and here's the steps you take. This isn't just old day church of getting circumcised. Let's look good, and we'll feel good about ourselves as we kept our bracelet on our left hand. These good lookers are also card-carrying members of the Jesus Spa and Club. You see, they, they, they want to be known as Christian, but truly what they really want is, is, I want to become a Christian, I want to be saved from hell, I want to make sure I got that covered. I want to receive all the spiritual blessings that come. And so now I will go and relax in my Jesus spa. Look at what the scriptures say, verse 12. Again, the look-gooders and the feel-gooders. Those who want to make a good, good impression outwardly, they're trying to compel, they're trying to move everybody into circumcision, practiced religion. Now look at the reason. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted from the cross of Christ. They don't want to take the hits of being a follower of Jesus Christ. But they want to receive all the blessings, salvation from hell, and bring on the spiritual blessings, God. Because I, when I was in seventh grade, prayed the prayer. Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And Jesus says to you, come follow me, deny yourselves, and take up your cross. That is the journey of relationship with Jesus Christ. It is not the Jesus Spawn Club. It is a life of obedience. It is a life that is full of suffering. It is a life that is full of life in Christ and Christ alone. And there are a lot who want to compel us to step into Christianity because it looks good and it feels good. That's not true discipleship. You see, Judaism was an accepted religion of the time. And so the Romans weren't going after those who practiced Judaism. And so these converts, these Jewish converts who still were obeying the laws of circumcision and dietary laws, 
they weren't taking the heat from Rome. But if you profess the cross, and it's all about Jesus, you took the heat. You were shamed. In your community, you were shamed. The Romans were coming after you. That's followers of Jesus Christ. But those who wanted to be comfortable kept doing all the other rules because, again, it was acceptable. It didn't take any pressure. See, Paul is warning the Galatians, and I think God is bringing this to us, that we would not live in the fear of human opposition and that we would not live in the love of human praise that we live in obedience to Jesus Christ as followers of him. The legalists wanted to inject morality, keeping that bracelet. They wanted to inject morality for the cross. I do moral things, and therefore, look at what I do. And they're proud of their religious zeal. They don't humble themselves before God and man. And again, When Jesus says, take up your cross, what he means is that we join him on the road to Calvary. That's a disciple of Jesus. Not only are they compelling them to do this and saying, this is what you must do. What they're saying, this is how you should live. What the scriptures say is they don't even do it themselves. They say, wear the bracelet here, but they don't even wear the bracelet. They're trying to have you live a lifestyle that they don't even buy into themselves. What really matters? The cross was scandalous, and it's scandalous for the prideful because the cross strips us of all pride. And you see, what we're seeing in the beginning of these verses is that the only thing that matters to these Judaizers is looking good and feeling good. The only thing that matters is a simple Christianity without any pressure, pleasing everybody, blending in with the crowd. And that's the only thing that mattered to them. And not only to them, that they would win over converts, that you would join my club. This is not what a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like. Paul is saying, this is not what life in Christ is all about. This is not freedom in Christ. And we can keep trying to put on a show or we can begin taking up our cross and realizing that the only thing that matters is not boasting in myself, but boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul goes on to say, verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You can either be boasting about feeling good, looking good, all that you do, or we can have a lifestyle that boasts alone in the cross of Jesus Christ. What a radical statement. You know what it's saying? It's, it's like, I 
boast in the electric chair. I glory in the guillotine. I mean, that's really what it's saying. And this device, this, this device that was used for human torture and destruction and death, this is what I glory in. This is what I boast about. You go, Paul, what are you talking about? What does that look like? In the culture, there was nothing more disgusting than the cross. It was meant for slaves and robbers and assassins. There wasn't a more humiliating way to be killed than on the cross. And what would seem logical is that you would glory in your good showing in the flesh instead of the cross. Paul seems to be upside down and backwards. You see, the word crux in Roman society was unmentionable. This is why you got to understand this is an incredible statement by Paul. You would never come into a social gathering and ever even whisper the word cross, crux. It was unacceptable because it was so lowly. It was the worst of the worst. It was only for the absolute scum of the earth. And so for the Romans, full of their pride, it was not mentioned. And they came up with a way to even talk about a sort of an archaic formula. Arbori and Felici, suspendido, hang him on the unlucky tree. That was how they could even bring it up was using another formula of words because cross in all of that culture, Galatia being under Roman rule, it wasn't mentioned. Now do you see Paul showing up? I boast in nothing alone but the cross. You don't think that would turn the room inside out? A follower of Jesus Christ who knows exactly who he is before the Lord, before holy God. That I am who I am because of his son. The cross that was so disgusting to Paul that he pursued Christians and kept going after Stephen and had him stoned to death because Stephen gloried in the cross. And then God met Paul on the road to Damascus and changed his life from the inside out. And now Paul knows. My whole life is because of the cross. There is nothing I do. There is nothing I can do enough except boast in the cross and realize and speak forth that every blessing that I have, everything of my life is because Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again. Everything about life and who I am spiritually is because of this and I can boast in nothing alone except the cross. I cannot boast in all of the things I have done for God because he did it all that I would be saved, that I would have life, 
that Jesus now lives in me, that the Spirit now fills me, it's all because of what took place that day on Calvary. Do you see what Paul is boasting in? Every good thing comes from above, James tells us. If you think good things come because you're doing so much for God, get over yourself. And boast in nothing alone with absolute thankfulness but in the cross of Jesus Christ. That we get on our knees and realize who we are. And we say, thank you, God, that you have forgiven me. Thank you, God, that your son paid the price. Thank you, God, that you have given me new life. Because life comes because of death. All of my sins paid for. And I glory in the cross. And I, Galatians 2.20 says, have been crucified with Christ. And now I no longer live. But here's the joy. Christ lives in me. And so I boast in that. I glory in it. And now the world, because Jesus lives in me, has been crucified to me, verse 14 says. The world is crucified to me. The world is dead in its power to attract me anymore, to take my mind and take it over. Have you seen those Zulu commercials? We will have you be watching TV and your mind will turn to mush because we're aliens. And it shows these folks just sitting in front of the TV. Everything about them is just sucked into the world system. And that's what he's talking about here. The world, cosmos, where we get actually the word cosmetology. It's, it's an adornment, something to make us beautiful. What he's saying is I'm not enamored. It's not beautiful to me anymore. It's not attractive It's not what draws my mind and my heart. And I will not allow it anymore because I have the power of God in me. I'm not going to allow it to take me down the path of death. I'm controlled by a new master. It is Christ who lives in me. You know, sometimes I wonder why there's so many foreclosures going on. And I know there's a variety of reasons. But I think one of the reasons is as I think we sort of bought into the lie. Man, we need to have a bigger house and a nicer house. We really do. We really got to have it. Because we're, we're planning big parties and we're going to have lots of people over and so we better get the bigger house. We don't have any money at all, but we're going to get the bigger house. And the banks knew that thinking. The banks knew that's the way the world system thinks. And so they offered loans that people can afford. But I think it started with the initial draw. What's, what draws my attention is that I must have a nicer home, a bigger home. And all your focus becomes that. And we strap ourselves. And now we become in bondage to debt because of the draw. The thinking that somehow the most important thing was to have this nice home. Nothing wrong with a nice home. Don't hear me wrong. But where's our heart being drawn to? And Paul is saying, my heart is drawn to Christ alone. 
Maybe I end up with a nice home. Maybe. But my heart is drawn to Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me. And I, he goes on in verse 14, I am crucified to the world. See, Paul is dead to the world. He serves a new master. He's dead again to the desires, to the attractions of the world because his love, his focus is poured into his relationship with Jesus Christ. His focus is no longer in making a name for himself, which is the way he started out. But now his focus is in making a name for his Savior, Jesus. You know, I, I caught the last couple episodes of uh, Celebrity Apprentice. Come on, you can admit you watched it. And it came down to a, a couple players. There was this one gal, Annie, who apparently she's a professional, one of the best professional poker players in the world. And the other is uh, Joan Rivers. Those were the final two of Celebrity Apprentice. Good old Donald Trump. But here's the episode that I caught, and her statements were, Annie's statements were this. I'm here to play a game, and I'm here to play to win. It's not about making friends. It's about all that I'm doing. I've raised the most money. And the one episode that I saw, she wrote a jingle for, I think it was uh, Chicken of the Sea or something. And she, she didn't even write the jingle. She actually had all these people come in who helped her write the song, and their song won. But after their song won, it was like, I wrote the song. I won. I did it all by myself. She literally was saying these things. And, and look at this. And Clint Black was the other, who's a musician. I beat Clint Black, and look how good I And she kept going on and on and on about how she did it. And she made a name for Annie, the poker player. I have died to that thinking, Paul says, of somehow trying to make a name for myself and glorying in me. I think Paul mentions his rejection of the world and the world's rejection of him to illuminate the value of Christ crucified. And now our relationship with him because of that, dependent solely upon Jesus and his transformational work in our lives. I count Philippians 3.18, everything a loss. I count everything crucified for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what really matters. Everything is a loss, but having that intimate knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ is what it's all about. And now he brings us what I think is the key of all that he's been wanting to get to. I want you to see him writing furiously. Verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Here's what counts. Here's what really matters. You ready? It is... A new creation. This is what it's all about. This is what I've been trying to get to you. Freedom in Christ because we're new creations. It's not about circumcision or uncircumcision, baptism or no baptism. 
what denomination we are in, whether or not you speak in tongues. It's not how you dress. It's not what you drink. It's not how many mission trips you've been on or what your social cause is. It's not what version of the Bible you use. It's not what your social cause is, what percentage you tithe this month. What type of clothes you actually wear to church. It's not about that, your political party. It's not about how many tattoos or earrings you have worn. What really matters, what really counts, what it's all about is that Jesus Christ died on the cross, He rose again, and when He comes into your life, you become a new creation. Your life is changed forever. That's what matters. And I want you to stop buying into the lies that there's something more that you do, that there's something more to life, that there's something more to the meaning and the value of you. There's not. It's Jesus Christ that has transformed you, that has taken you from a selfish individual and has renewed you and given you life that is now lived for the Lord and lived in loving others, has taken that drug addiction and, and delivered you out of that, has taken that bondage of sin and now freed you. It's because of Him, and He is the only one that can bring new creation in you, new life. That's what Nicodemus was asking. How am I born again? What is that? For God so loved the world that everyone who should believe upon him should not perish but have new life. There's no longer any condemnation now for you. Now we live in hope and joy and life. The only place is Jesus and Jesus alone. And when we receive Jesus... Here's what happens to us, 2 Corinthians 5. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. That's Jesus died. And Jesus died for all. Why? That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and for them and was raised again. So from now on, as ones who have been changed from the inside out, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we don't do it anymore. Here's what's true of you and me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone received Jesus Christ, then you are, dear brothers and sisters, a new creation. That's who you are. That is your identity. That is your life. It is in Jesus and Jesus alone. The old has gone and the new has come. And all of this is from God who reconciled, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us this ministry now of reconciliation that others would know the good news of how Jesus changed your life. And you know it, people. You're living it. You are a new creation. You know how God has changed you. And now we profess that good news. That stop trying to wear the bracelet. That's not what changes you. That's not what life is all about. That's continued bondage so somehow I can do it. 
See, my pen marks are big letters. Exclamation point. You are new creation. It's like the very moment that God breathed life into Adam, Adam, and he made mankind. This isn't just a little bit of paint that covers up the old. This is move that bus, new creation. And when that happens, all we can do is cry. Don't you cry every episode? I do. Every time they move that bus, I cry. You want to know why? Because you know, you can't fix that old house. That old house was death. There's nothing you can do to... Nothing. But we cry because we realize that it's God who gave us that new house, this new life. We cry because we realize how good God is and that he meets our every needs. Our every needs. And then... And then, and beyond. That's new creation. We cry out of thankfulness to our Savior when we realize it is Jesus and Jesus alone. When we get to that point, we have come to a place of what matters most. Life transformed because of Jesus Christ. Life lived in freedom. Life lived in obedience out of love for our Savior. Life lived with hope and life with joy. Life in Jesus and Jesus in you. I remain in the vine. That's what matters most. Do you see how I'm pressing on this paper that you would understand that? And Christ has reconciled us to uh, him and he passes it along. And so he finishes up this letter, dear body, not just with some fleeting benediction. But he says this. Peace and mercy, this shalom, this rest, comes when you follow this rule, this canon, this rule that it's Jesus alone. You know what happens when we rest in Jesus alone? Peace, shalom, we are right with God. That comes, and his mercy comes to all who follow this, even the Israel of God, and I really believe this Israel of God is speaking of literally Israel, the Jewish people. His first part is us, those Christians, those ones who live by this rule. And then I think he points us over to the Israel of God. Do you understand God's heart for Israel, his chosen people? That there will be Jews who will truly turn their hearts over to Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? Many. And in the end times, there will be many who will be broken and contrite. I think that's what he's praying here. And so I offer that. Don't let anybody cause me trouble. He'd been getting grief because of his apostleship. They kept calling him wishy-washy. He's like, knock it off. Because here's what really matters. The grace of our Lord Jesus, and hear this prayer upon you, the grace of our Lord Jesus be upon you and be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Because it is grace and grace alone. God bless you.